I just realized uh, if I didn't live here, it's not really welcoming. <laughs> but uh, I'm uh, delighted to have the opportunity to to be with you all and uh, to spend this this time together as uh, weekend that we have before us. Um, probably for some of you, uh, the monastic style and traditional form that uh, comes with it is uh, very familiar. Others of you, it will be. You can't hear? Can you hear? Is that better? Yeah. Um, so for some of you, maybe this is uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> a, uh, all very uh, new and, uh, and different. And so um, I always like to impress upon people that uh, uh, please feel free to um, uh, just uh, sit quietly with uh, the chanting and the, the bowing and the ceremonial side of things that uh, you, know, you will not be losing points or uh, <laughs> no one will be taking names of those who, uh, who uh, don't uh, follow along it's quite alright to, to sit there and listen, take it all in um, if uh, you don't feel comfortable with, uh, with that side of things you can't actually kind of enforce devotion I've discovered over the years <laughs> Isn't, uh, it's not something that uh, comes from outside by coercion so uh, at the, and many of these practices are um, uh, sort of traditional devotional uh, forms and expressions so please feel free just to, uh, to listen and to, to watch to, to take it in in that way so um, one of the ways that we like to uh, customarily begin such events as this is to uh, begin with some of our traditional blessing chants. Uh, so I thought I might begin with uh, a couple of those this evening. These are uh, not something that you'll find in the chanting book, so please may need to start ruffling through just yet. <laughs> but uh, these are what are called uh, verses of blessing and protection, and uh, these are used for uh, any kind of occasion where one wishes to invoke uh, the forces of, of goodness, of, um, of spirituality, uh, to help support and to bring wholesome influences to bear on, a, on an event, and also to, in the same vein, invite those same forces forth from within ourselves so that we are encouraged to conjure up the forces of goodness, kindness, uh, respect and gentleness from within our own hearts. To uh, invite them to the surface and to accompany us through this, this time. So, for these first few minutes, I just encourage you to uh, just sit quietly and to uh, to let your your mind, your attention, settle on the, the sound. Uh, the the chants I will do uh, will be will all be in the Pali language. Uh, I can say, you know, those of you who know the words, please uh, chant along may be the case. Uh, if not, then just uh, let your mind uh, rest on the sound and uh, to use this as an opportunity for yourself to simply uh, clarify your own intention, your aspirations for this, this weekend. Uh, what, uh, what, maybe just to explore what brought you here, what you wish for this, this weekend and um, just to uh, to use this as a, a, a time also to allow ourselves to, to settle and to arrive. Probably many of you have come from far distances. 
so it is uh, as a, uh, can be a way of helping us to to settle in.
Jatamido Etang Sading Adi Tayam Brahman Etang Viharang Indamahuditin Jaharpagamasiyawa Tasanena Sampano Kame Surinayagedang Nahijatugabasayang Punareti Itipiso Bhagawa Araham Sama Sambodo Vija Charana Sambano Sugato Loka Vidu Anuttaro Purisandam Sarati Sata Deva Manu Sanang Bundo Magawati Sawakato Agavata Dhammo Sanditiko Akaliko Ehipasiko Opanaiko Pachatangwe Ditabo Vinyu Itisupati Pano Magavato Savakasango Uchupati Pano Magavato Savakasango Nyayapati Pano Agavato Savakasango Samiti Pati Magavato Savakasango Yadidangcha Tari Purisa Yukaniyata Purisambhugala Esam Magavato Savakasango Ahunayo Bahunayo Dakinayo Anjali Karaniyo Anuttarang Punyaketang Loka Sadi period of uh, sitting meditation now for uh, half an hour or so. Uh, uh, is, there, is there anybody here who's never practiced meditation ever before? Okay, so for the time being just do whatever practice you're used to. <coughs> also there's a few extra empty cushions up the front here. If there's some people that have squished in the back on the floor, please <coughs> don't Feel free to come and make use of these these maps up closer to the front. Yeah, empty spaces available. Sawato arahato sama sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa 
Buddhang Dhammang Sankhang Namasan I'm very glad indeed to be able to be here at uh, Gaia House. Uh, I visited here once or twice before for um, uh, once for a, a teacher meeting and uh, another occasion just uh, as a little social visit. So this is the first chance I've had to to be uh, on a retreat here, and uh, this is a unique opportunity for me. Also, I haven't actually uh, taught in England for about the last 10 years and uh, living over in the States for quite a while so I've uh, been very glad to be reconnecting with um, with everything in uh, England's green and pleasant glorious uh, Springfield country uh, I was saying to some people today that uh, this season already in California if you see a, 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 a green meadow it means that there's sprinklers that, that uh, Every ten feet through the through the grass, that are keeping it all fresh and, and lush. But uh, so when I going through the English countryside here, the thought comes to my mind: no sprinklers. <laughs> <laughs> and also many other great uh, delights: the uh, hedges, seeing hedges again. <laughs> You might think this is very unremarkable, but uh, <coughs> when you live in a country without without hedges and where every road is as straight as possible, every field line is is, uh, is also dead straight. Then just uh, being back in the, the soft contours and, and shapes of England and seeing little patches of woodland here and there is very uh, delightful. Uh, beautiful to be back in the, the midst of this again. Well, one of the, the things I like to uh, to bring up at the, the beginning of, of a retreat um, time, you know, it's very natural for all of us to, to gather together with a certain degree of, uh, of expectations. Maybe for some of you this is the, the first retreat that you've done, so uh, you're thinking, wow, the whole weekend, like Friday evening to Sunday afternoon, the whole weekend, like three days, or two and a half days of silence. <gasps> Behaving myself. Yeah. What am I going to do? How's it going to be? And this sort of great uh, oceanic vista of, of uh, restraint and, and uh, containment. And others might be have done uh, 55 10-day retreats and uh, at least a dozen three-monthers and think, well, weekend, and it's hardly worth the bother, is it really? <laughs> Or anything in between the two, you know. But uh, some of us, uh, you know, even been you know, monastics for many years, decade or more. Think, well, it's not very long, is it? And so we might have all kinds of different expectations. Maybe we have a great delight in any opportunity to be engaging in formal practice. And um, oh, marvelous, great weekend at Gaia House, England in springtime. Couldn't be better. Life can't get any better than this. Others of you might be thinking, why do I do this? Last time I said never again, and here I am again. 
I thought I wouldn't do this anymore. Or whatever it might be, uh, the mind throws up expectations quite naturally. And, and uh, I was recollecting some time back that I used to, at the beginning of retreats, I always used to say, don't have any expectations. But then I realized that um, years of experience have taught me that the mind does not obey orders. <laughs> so when you say, don't think this, don't have any expectations, then it blithely ignores all instructions and uh, produces them anyway. So, uh, in a sense, it's more skillful, more more realistic, not to not to be thinking of uh, trying to give the mind orders not to have any expectations, but just to to be able to listen to whatever expectations, hopes, fears, anticipations that might arise, to just be attending to them, listening to them, and to um, to take them in, recognize that yes, well, this is a, a wave of hope or a wave of fear, a wave of excitement. Uh, anticipation, uh, and that's all it is. It's just it's just that much. It's not a it's not a big thing. And so that no matter how loudly some hope or fear, anticipation declares itself um, and maps out the future, full of its uh, glories and possibilities and terrors, it is actually just a feeling that's happening in the here and now. It's just happening in this moment. It's just a, a perception taking shape now, isn't it? Just like uh, the sound of my voice. It's, it's just a sound that that's happening right now. So too, all of the you know, highly reasonable projections of the future that the mind might create, they're actually happening now. They're not happening in the future. <laughs> they might tell us that they're mapping the future and predicting it accurately, but actually it's simply happening now. And so we find that we can learn to listen to that, to attend to that, and and just leave it at that. It enables us much more uh, fully to be open to to the present, just to leave the unknown as it is. The future is the the not yet arrived. The Pali word for for the future, um, anagata, means not yet come. Gata means to come. Uh, anagata not come. It's that which has not arrived yet. The future. So uh, I encourage uh, the attitude at the beginning of a retreat to, yeah, expectations might arise, but to also to set an intention here and uh, now in the present that whatever arises, whatever we experience, whether it turns out better than we expected or worse than we expected or just the same old utter mediocre me <laughs> all through the weekend utterly unremarkable <laughs> retreat <laughs> me being my normal ordinary utterly unremarkable self for the whole weekend <laughs> whatever it is that, that, that we experience however this, uh, this time unfolds that we can set the intention to, to learn from everything to learn from the painful, learn from the, the, the pleasant, the beautiful, learn from the, the mediocre, the mundane. To learn from what we think of as success, to learn from what we think of as failure. Uh, to see that uh, if we're wise, everything will teach us. The, the painful, the, the, the pleasant, the beautiful, the ugly, the mediocre, everything in it will teach us if we let it. 
And this is a, a teaching that uh, Ajahn Chah, uh, my own teacher, reiterated countless thousands of times uh, over the years. But uh, we restrict ourselves very easily to what we think we're going to learn from. We learn from a Dhamma teacher, or we learn from success in meditation practice, or we learn from things going well when we, the mind obeys our orders. And when we say, concentrate, ding, it just focuses and stays still. You think, oh, that's a success, that's good. But actually, even when we say, concentrate, and then it, and it immediately responds by uh, becoming twice as scattered as it ever was before zooms off in a couple of different directions or half a dozen different directions we can learn from that as well we can see that, oh yeah, as soon as you give, uh, as soon as you give this mind an order say, do this, do that it's, uh, it immediately revolts that's how this mind will you know, responds to pressure, aha uh-huh. If you try to, so we can see that you know that's the character that our mind has. We learn from that. Okay, if you give it a direct order, if you demand, then it does this. If you uh, uh, invite, if you encourage, then maybe it does something different. So that even things that we think of as going wrong or painful or difficult, obstructions like uh, having a, a cold. You know, just think you're in fine health for the whole preceding six months running up to the retreat. You've been looking to it, looking forward to it forever. And you arrive, suddenly you, you feel that tickle in your nose and that kind of tightening in your throat. You think, no! Oh! I kind of a cold? I've been fine for months. Now the one time I want to be in retreat, finally I've got some time to be in retreat, and now, so then we say, oh, the cold is in my way. The cold is obstructing my practice, having a snotty nose and a tickling throat and cough. But everything will teach us. The, the cold and the, you know, the runny nose, the, the, the irritating cough, and then our feelings of, of creating anxiety and aversion in the people around us. You know, all those people suddenly leaving cough drops on our cushion. Helpful little notes. <laughs> breathing techniques to stop coughing in the meditation hall and so on <laughs> it can be um, all woven in if we're, if we're wise yeah, everything that happens will teach us and I'm not just saying that to sort of be uh, comforting or just sugaring things over but it's really true this is genuinely the case that nothing can go wrong Nothing can go wrong, even if there's you know we get a phone call and some family crisis happens and we have to go, you know, leave the retreat in mid stride and and take off. Even that will teach us if we let it. So I, I deeply encourage uh, setting this intention in place in here as we begin this this time together. To and even if we we find that we've totally blown it and complete, <laughs> we've been complaining about not only. You know, alcohol going on, or the, the the way the person next to us is breathing, or the you know, the way that that person walks down the corridor, you know, all of the ten thousand things that the mind can get upset about. That uh, even if we lose it for for uh, till 
three o'clock on Sunday afternoon, and completely woven up in, you know, in, enmeshed in our reactions and opinions, then suddenly, all oh, right, I was supposed to learn from everything. <laughs> Even if it was just at the last minute, look at that. This whole weekend I spent, you know, uh, completely immersed in my own views and opinions. And, uh, and all this time, I didn't take that to heart. I was only learning from the things that I wanted to learn from. And all the rest, I just, I just pushed aside or, or looked at as obstructions or distractions. Uh-huh, look at that. Because also, it's not just the unpleasant things that we, that will teach us, but also the pleasant ones. That, uh, the mind being entranced by some beautiful, uh, the landscape or a beautiful apple blossom or some food that they serve us and the mind goes catapulted into ecstasy the, uh, the wonderful cooks here at Gaia House so even the mind getting totally lost in, in, in kind of sensual pleasure even that will teach us nothing is exempt from, from uh, being fueled for, for insight for understanding if we let it Uh, the theme um, for this this retreat, if I remember correctly, <laughs> I haven't actually looked at the brochure <laughs> for a while. I think, yeah. and I can be corrected. Maybe Tim knows. Uh, was entering the silence. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> entering the silence, and so, uh, and then my intention is to um, be looking at um, particular kinds of practice, particularly. Um, Meditation on what's called the inner sound or the nada in Sanskrit Pali. And um, so, anyway, after, shortly after I arrived here, and then Yanai and uh, Catherine were showing, uh, showing us around, and uh, as we were exploring the, the gardens, it was, or actually, as soon as we came out of the building, it was vividly apparent that there's a, a very healthy rookery, or a couple of rookeries, forming here at Gaia House. And uh, so then the, um, some comment was made about, oh, this is going to be a, a meditation on silence, wasn't it? <laughs> this is going to be interesting, because you know, these guys are really uh, <coughs> well settled in. And I don't think they're going to be um, heading off for the weekend, <laughs> not by the sound of things this evening. And uh, so uh, you might think, Oh no, it's supposed to be this, this profound meditation. This, this, you know, Ajahn Amaro hardly ever teaches in this country, and here he is, sort of in our backyard, and it's supposed to be this weekend on meditation on silence, and there are all these bloody crows. <laughs> Actually, they're rooks. <laughs> so then, immediately, just like the cold can get in the way, or that person's breathing can get in the way, or, or uh, the pain in my knee can get in the way, then we think, oh, those rooks, the rookeries are. are uh, interrupting my meditation. How can I possibly meditate on silence with all those birds making such a racket? And then I'm sure that it's, it's occurred to um, probably some of the residents here, a few of the hermits and um, other previous retreatants, the, the 10,000 different ways of silencing colonies of rooks. <laughs> I'm sure the, the creative mind has been very busy over the, the months and years. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to be presumptuous, but if people down in the West Country are anything like other people on the planet, <laughs> be, the mind will have been working out how to get the perfect earplugs or the, 
how to persuade a colony of, of rooks to, to move elsewhere. Because it seems so reasonable, isn't it? You know, okay, I'm going to meditate on silence, quietude, and there's all this noise. Get rid of the noise, and we can be silent, right? But uh, there's more to it than, than that. Uh, even, and you shouldn't feel as though if you have had those impulses already to sitting, joining here together for the first sitting of the evening but actually uh, I was re- reminded that um, the, the, in the monastic rule and all of the rules that we have were laid down uh, because of particular things that, that happened during the time of the Buddha so that he didn't just sit down and write out a code of do's and don'ts but he waited until things occurred and he had to create some kind of a standard for people but so the precept that we have about not killing animals was because of, uh, of a monk killing crows because they were making a, a racket and interrupting his meditation. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the story goes that uh, the, um, two uh, monks were walking through the, 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 uh, the forest where the monastery was and they uh, approached the, the, the kuti, the, the cabin, where this one monk lived and they saw all these dead crows on stakes outside the the front of the kuti, and he said, what are all these crows doing here? And he said, oh, I shot them. He says, why on earth did you shoot them? Uh, he says, well, you know, they were making such a racket, they were, they were disturbing my, med- my meditation, so I, you know, took out a bow and arrow, bow and, arrow and shot them. He says, but venerable friend, surely you know that violence towards other creatures is, is uh, not suitable conduct for a disciple of the Lord. He says, well, they were ruining my meditation. <laughs> We're here to meditate, aren't we? So it seems a reasonable thing to do. So they went back and forth, and then, of course, this argument, as it always does, got back to the Buddha, and he said, Venerable friend, (laughs) 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 the deliberate taking of life of a a breathing, living creature is is not to be done. This is unsuitable conduct. So that's how we have our monastic precept against against taking life, because of annoyances. (laughs) <laughs> with uh, the uh, particular form of bird song. Uh, many years ago, one of the most uh, significant insights that Ajahn Chah had that became a, a defining element of his practice and his teaching was uh, when he was a young monk uh, traveling through the, the countryside, through the wilds of, of Thailand, and uh, he was camped in a, uh, a forest outside a, of a village and been there for some time. And uh, in Thailand, uh, the uh, because the weather is so hot, then usually at night, at night time, if they're having a, a festival or a get together, then these always occur during the the, uh, the cool hours of, of the night. So on this particular occasion, Ajahn Chah was, was sitting uh, alone in the forest under his mosquito net, and, and uh, it was also around the time when, when electrified PA systems started appearing in the Thai landscape. And so there was this huge racket coming out of the village, they were having a festival, and there was a great welter of, of noise uh, filling the forest. And uh, the young Ajahn Chah was sitting there trying to concentrate, and there was this, you know, all this kind of music and laughter and cavorting and and sounds of, of uh, raucous fun <laughs> resonating out from the village and so he's sitting there thinking don't they know I'm sitting here meditating I come through the village every morning they offer me alms they know I'm a meditation monk 
how many times have I given them the five precepts? They're all out there, singing, dancing, drinking, doing stupid things, wasting their time, interrupting my meditation. It's terribly bad karma, disturbing the meditation of a, of a diligent forest ascetic monk, dedicated to loving kindness to all beings. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they know what they're doing? You can have the mind going off on a reasonable rant. You know, you know that uh, justifiable aversion, you know that? Reasonable hatred <laughs> that uh, his mind was was going down this, this track very vigorously, and then, uh, but then, no matter how heated he got, the, the, the noise was still carrying on, and then he suddenly he it hit him because he was a very reflective type of mind that he that he had. He realized, I think that the sound is annoying me. But actually, it's me that's annoying the sound. The sound is just doing what sound is supposed to do. It's just vibrating air. It's just, it's just noise. It's not doing this to annoy me. You know, it's not uh, seeking me out to just give me a bad time and interrupt my meditation. It's just, it's just sound. If I leave it alone, if I don't make a problem out of it, it's just sound. And he realized that, that he could do that, the sound was still there, but he could choose whether to make a problem out of it or not. And he realized that uh, it was such a, uh, when, when he did that, it was such a, a uh, profound shift for him because he realized that yeah, he was a very uh, committed and diligent meditator. You know, he was very strict with his practice and very uh, earnest. And and he realized that whenever he went to stay in different monasteries, he would get upset with the other monks who were too slack, or they didn't keep the vinaya, the, the vinaya rules, the monks disciplined very well, or, uh, and that you know, no matter where he went, or he went to some place and it was too hot, or it was too cold, or the, 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 uh, the food was too rich, or you know, there wasn't enough food, or it was too busy, or, and he realized that wherever he went, there was always something that he could blame, that was interrupting his practice. He said, just like the noise that evening. And that he had always responded to that by getting up and moving on, going to the next place and the next place and the next place and the next place. And he says, I always do that. I always think that the next place I'm going to find peace. I'm going to get the perfect conditions where nothing will bother me. And so that he, and then he recollected this teaching in the, the scriptures where the Buddha's walking through the, the forest with a, a, a bunch of his monastic disciples and, and they see a, uh, a jackal. And the jackal runs into a hollow tree and then it's in the hollow tree for a while and then it comes out of the hollow tree and runs into the bushes. Comes out of the bushes and, and rushes into a cave, comes out of the cave and, 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 and goes into a, you know, a hole in the ground, comes out of the hole in the ground and goes back into the, the hollow tree again. And uh, the Buddha said to, to the monastics, that, you see that, that jackal? You know how it goes from one place to another to another? That jackal has mange. And when it goes into the hollow tree, it thinks that'll be uh, a more comfortable situation for it. It goes in there and then <coughs> it starts to itch. So then it goes out of the tree and goes to the bushes. And it thinks that'll be better. Then it, and then it starts to itch. So it leaves the bushes and goes into the cave and thinks that'll be better for then 
but then it starts to itch and one place after another it keeps trying to find the place where it where it'll be more comfortable it doesn't realize that it's carrying the itch with it and he realized that was the same problem that, that he had he says I'm carrying my itch with me no wonder everywhere I go it's not quite right there's always something getting in the way of my practice there's always something not quite right I'm carrying this with me it's me, it's the mind contending against uh, the circumstances and then you realize, well where, where is the place on earth where everything is going to be right permanently What's, what monastery, what forest, what, what village, what place could there be that's always going to be just right? And as soon as he had that thought, he realized there isn't one. So this led to a whole style of practice and a whole way of teaching that, uh, that he then um, began to, to pursue and, and to develop and uh, to sort of carry on through his uh, to all of his students and, and down to <coughs> here, Guy House and May the 14th, 2004 because he realized that the, the main principle to learn where we find, where we find peace where, where true peace, the, the silence that, we, that is really a, of, a, of true value is not the silence of making the world go quiet or finding the perfect earplugs or, or removing all of the noisy shoes from the other retreatants oiling all the, all the squeaky hinges the, the, the great silence is the, the, the silence of, of the mind that is free from contention the mind that is not contending against anything So obviously, external silence, the quietude amongst the rooks and, and uh, quiet footsteps in the corridors and keeping noble silence uh, the other yogis and so forth is, uh, can be supportive and helpful, obviously, in many ways. But if we want to find peace, then I can guarantee there isn't a place on the earth that's quiet enough, that's where the food is good enough, mm-hmm. the people are, are perfect, uh, enough companions where you are guaranteed peace uh, day after day it can't nature just does not allow that it can't happen I mean you can keep <laughs> you can take up the search and, and uh, let me know but uh, I certainly uh, none of my teachers have ever found such a place and I never have either but we do have the capacity to not contend we do have the capacity to to cultivate that attitude which is fully aware of things that is that hears the sound that, that knows the feeling in the body know, you know feels the the, the runny nose and the, the headache or the hears the, the snoring in the room next door or in the room that you're in or the, or the snoring that you're, you're um, performing <laughs> and is able to not contend against it that there is peace in the attitude, in the in the view. So, in in the, the course of this weekend, I would like to um, be I will be exploring the this particular kinds of meditation on 
on the sound of silence, the inner sound, and, and looking at this theme. Um, but particularly aimed at cultivating, discovering and cultivating this quality of non-contention. And oftentimes when we, we talk in these terms, non-contention or non-duality, um, acceptance, we can we we think of that as being um, a kind of passivity, just sort of rendering ourselves completely numb, like non non uh, responsive. So as if we're as if we were we trying to perfect the art of being a, a totally unfeeling being, like to, to become a, a sort of a of brick. I know in England, sort of in the past, being a brick was. <laughs> Could be a complimentary uh, uh, statement, but uh, that kind of completely feelingless, um, numb quality is not what we're aiming at. To um, to cultivate non-contention and uh, a quality of acceptance is, in a way, the, the essence of of loving kindness. Now we usually think of you know, those of us who are familiar with Buddhist practice might think of loving kindness as generating a like a, an active feeling of benevolence towards others, spreading out a feeling of well-wishing and and uh, kindness towards other beings. Thinking of our family, our friends, or people that we like, people that we dislike, and all other you know, creatures, uh, beings around the world. And that's often how meta practice loving-kindness practice is taught as a sort of uh, a radiating out of a very positive uh, external quality out towards other beings. And that, that certainly has its value and that, that practice can be useful. But for myself, my, uh, and the way I tend to relate to, to meta-practice, it's much more seeing it and feeling it, developing it as, as that attitude of, of non-contention the heart that does not dwell in aversion towards anything. Because sometimes it's interesting, many, many retreats that I've led, people will say, well, I was having a great time and you know, I was feeling really at ease and happy until you did that, that, that loving-kindness meditation. That really annoyed me so much. <laughs> I was so irritated, nauseated by this sort of Walt Disney-esque thinking pink. <laughs> And like smearing the entire world with, with candy floss. <laughs> it was just so annoying trying to like everything. But meta, it doesn't mean trying to make ourselves like everything. It's not like trying to pretend that the bitter is sweet or that those whom we've, we've uh, have been hurt by or that we, we see as being destructive or cruel people. We can't, we're not pretending that we like the, uh, others. But we don't have to like everything in order to be able to uh, to be able to love everything, to be able to accept or to recognize that this is the way things are. This is part of nature. That just as as beauty and and uh, and joy and happiness and love, uh, affection are part of nature, and so you know so too in amongst those beautiful trees filled with may blossom and the uh, and the lovely. You know, apple trees and the, the grasses, there's countless of millions of spiders trapping little flies and devouring them and uh, 
there's this you know, incredible degree of, of violence going on, you know, buried in the same bucolic pastoral uh, peacefulness. It's all part of the natural order. And so that meta is recognizing that everything belongs. Fundamentally, it's that, that opening of the heart to the fact that it's all part of nature. The beautiful, the ugly, the pleasant, the painful, the neutral, the, the benevolent, the violent. These are all attributes of nature. So, uh, during this uh, this weekend, then uh, hopefully this is something that also we'll be able to focus on and cultivate that, that the heart of loving kindness is this, uh, essentially this openness, this quality of acceptance that recognizes that at the very basis, everything belongs. The rooks belong, the humans belong, the, the blissful one-pointed uh, concentration belongs, the blazing insight, the beautiful lines of, of totally unique poetry belong, so do the migraines, knee pain, snoring neighbors, and uh, the, uh, the raucous rooks. It all, it all belongs. And the, the utterly unremarkable you know, feeling of putting your sock on in the morning, it all belongs. It's all part of the natural order. Which, which in, that, in that way, then, seeing loving-kindness in that way, that, that quality of acceptance, and we're not sugaring anything over. We're not pretending that the bitter is sweet, or that that person that we hurt, um, or, or that hurt us, that, that's a, a pleasant memory. It's painful. There's a grief there, or a, there's a, an ache in the heart. Yeah, that we're not pretending that isn't that isn't painful, but we're seeing that's part of life. This is this is part of the whole picture. The silence between the the the, uh, the sounds of the the, the rooks and the, the actual cawing itself. It's all part of it. So on that basis of of acceptance and fundamental uh, openness recognition that everything belongs, then we apply wisdom. And from that basis, we, we discern, well, okay, anger belongs and, and kindness belongs. So I'm angry with this person I'm sharing the room with, so I should let them have it, right? <laughs> everything belongs. So my, you know, my reactivity belongs, and my urge to, to scruffle this guy belongs. <laughs> Which is one of the reasons why we all take the eight precepts at the beginning of the <laughs> retreat. So the urges to throttle your roommate are restrained. <laughs> so uh, we have a common standard of conduct. But we're uh, even sort of going back from that, what uh, though we recognize, yes, everything belongs. Everything is part of, of nature, of Dhamma. It's all Dhamma. But we discern, we, we recognize that there are actions that lead to peacefulness, towards clarity, towards harmony between ourselves and others, and there are actions that lead to disharmony, to discord, to confusion, to turbulence. So that um, the training that we follow, the, the path that the Buddha laid out and that is, is here for us is to then recognize, okay, what's skillful, what's wholesome, what's going to lead to harmony and what's going to lead to discord. So if I do 
pursue this, this feeling of anger. If I pick that up and run with it, then that's going to cause heat, difficulty, stress, abrasion. That's going to make life very hard, unpleasant. It's going to uh, make it much more difficult to, to cultivate senior spiritual qualities. Whereas if I follow this, the uh, the uh, capacity for restraint, for um, for patience, for tolerance, for respect, then that's going to lead towards peacefulness, clarity. So you're not saying that respect is intrinsically good and right, and you're not saying that that violence is intrinsically wrong and evil. But we're just seeing that if you follow this track, then it leads this way. If you follow that track, it leads the other way. Just as if you know, coming out of Gaia House, if you want to go to to Newton Abbott, this is the way that we came in. <laughs> when you come out of the drive at Gaia House, you turn left. If you want to go to Newton Abbott, if you want to go somewhere else across Dartmoor, maybe, you go right. I'm guessing. <laughs> this point. But it's not that, that turning right is, is evil and turning left is good. If, if you want to go to, to, to Newton Abbott, then turn left. If you want to, to if you want to go towards peacefulness and clarity, take a left. If you want to go to confusion and heat and, and stress, then take a right. That's all. It's not that uh, that we are trying to just pretend that it's all the same. There's, there is discrimination, but it's discrimination on a, of, uh, that's made on that basis of uh, recognition of a fundamental non-duality of that everything belongs. So it's, it's easy to be um, kind of deluded about this and, uh, in some ways that we can say, well, yes, everything belongs, but you know, I choose to. Pr- I really would prefer my non-duality to be around the sound of no rook. <laughs> I'm totally open to all things, but <laughs> but if only they could shut up, it would be much better. <laughs> this is uh, I was at a uh, uh, retreat that was um, being led by uh, a f- uh, Tibetan Lama uh, who has apparently taught here, Sokmi Rinpoche, um, who's a, a good friend, and he was. Uh, he was saying how you know, he was when he's visiting the, the states and being sort of taken around, staying at people's houses, and he says over and over again, people say, "Oh, you know, I just, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not attached to any of this. I just, you know, enjoy having you know, like a big house. And, you know, he says a beautiful furniture and a glorious view and a big swimming pool and a tennis court and, and it's a very exquisite carpet and you know, lovely paintings and Buddha images." And, and this, and this is over and over again. I said, I'm not attached to any of this. You know, I just choose to have it around. And he said, he would, he would call this uh, California Dharma, <laughs> was the term that he employed. Well, this is very brave because this was in California that he was saying it. <laughs> These are all his major, major supporters in the room <laughs> with him. So I was impressed by his courage. But he, he's, and he said he would, he would, he would hear people speak in this way and said, yeah, but if I turn this coffee pot upside down on your Persian carpet, <laughs> do you think that you would really be that detached? And uh, so sometimes the, the the thinking mind can be a little bit. I mean, I, he didn't turn the coffee pot up on anybody's carpet, as far as I know. But uh, just by saying that, you could feel a sort of 
lurch go through the room. So sometimes we can be we can be a little bit self-deceptive around um, how, just exactly how non-contentious we're being, <laughs> and the the, the choices that, that we make. And so, uh, but what I'd like to be able to um, explore, and then hopefully we'll be able to discover to some degree, is is finding that genuine capacity uh, that we have for non-contention, that place in our heart where where it's truly recognized, yes, everything does belong, everything is is okay. That uh, even the coffee on the 36,000 pound Persian rug <laughs> Not that I have any plans to mess up Kaya House <laughs> well, while we're here. But uh, even that, yeah, that happens. That sometimes it all goes wrong. And that's part of it. And that we can find a genuine peace and clarity in that the heart that does not contend. And this is, in a way, the, the, the perfect silence, the, the great the great silence that uh, that can accompany us, that there's that great peace that underlies, surrounds, pervades all activity, and the stillness that is uh, present within all movement, and the the, uh, the silence that is always here, that's unperturbed by uh, by the presence or absence of, of sound. Uh, these are these uh, qualities are are uh, potential within us. I would suggest maybe you have doubts about. So you don't know my mind. My mind never shuts up. <laughs> what do you mean, great silence? <laughs> Even in your attitude, you might feel that your mind is always struggling with something. But I would suggest humbly, or not very humbly. <laughs> <laughs> I would suggest that we all, every single one of us, has that that faculty, that capacity, and that uh, we do have the ability to draw on that, to discover that, and that uh, this is one, as we find that, as we begin to uh, delve into that dimension of our, our being, that this is a, a great richness, this is a, a, a richness and a beauty, a, uh, a source of real joy and freedom in our life that is uh, of the most uh, fundamental worth, the real uh, treasure. So I'll finish my opening reflections for this evening there, and uh, we'll. Uh, I thought we could close the evening with a, a couple of different things. First of all, we could chant the uh, the sharing of blessings together. We can have a bit more light for this, and then. After that, we'll um, do the uh, formal taking of the eight precepts together. So uh, you can turn out the, uh, the lights up a little, if, uh, or a lot, to, to help people to read. So the sharing of blessings is a, a chant that we usually do in the monastery at the end of the day. And you'll find this on page 17 of these chanting books that uh, have kindly been printed up. There should, have, there should be one on every mat. Um, is that enough light? 
bit more, a bit more for the uh, more uh, needy eyes. Okay. So this is a chant that we do uh, customarily at the end of the day or at some point during the day, and this is uh, a way of offering up um, whatever good karma that's been created. So page 17. Uh, whatever good karma has been created through our efforts during the day to, to recognize this is not just something that affects us, but is also something that is a, a benefit to other beings. So it's a conscious sharing of whatever goodness has been brought into existence. Uh, to be offering that up to be a benefit to, to all others, uh, those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, to, to share the blessings of our life with all beings. So again, please feel free to join in or, or not as you like. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration through the goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, may the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life, may they soon attain the threefold bliss, and realize the deathless, through the goodness that arises from my practice, and through this act of sharing, may all desires and attachments quickly cease, and all harmful states of mind, until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth, May I have a bright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge, unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be
So the uh, the last thing of the evening um, to uh, formally avow the uh, refuges and the eight precepts. This is to prevent homicide in the uh, dormitories. The um, uh, chanting for this is on page 23, and so um, the customary way for this. Uh, to begin is to bow three times and then to make the request together. Um, perhaps those of you who are familiar with the, the wording, um, the, the chant, and led by Anagarika, Greg here, can give full voice. So those of you who are familiar with the words, please sort of give full volume, and those who are <coughs> unfamiliar, you can just sort of tag in behind. Um, the uh, I should have mentioned the the note the musical notation is very simple. So the chanting has a, a, a what's called a home note, the pitch that the lead voice makes. And if um, if the word has a little triangle underneath, that means you go down one note. If it has a triangle above, you go up one note. And if it has no triangle above or below, you stay on the home note. Um, the uh, the M with a dot underneath in Pali is an ng sound, like song or lung or thing. Um, and if a vowel has a line over the top, then that makes it longer. So ya cha ma has no line over the top; it's short. So probably enough to be going along with. And there's also a little guide to the pronunciation and so forth. At the back of the chanting books that the, uh, the great Felix has managed to put together in a very short period of time. So thank him for conjuring this up for us. So, uh, whenever you would like to begin, you can start with the, the uh, bowing three times and then uh, begin with the request. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma 
Brahmang Saranga Chami Sanghang Saranga Chami Dutiyampi Buddhang Saranga Chami Dutiyampi Buddhang Saranga Chami Dutiyampi Dhamang Saranga Chami Tatiyampi Buddhang Saranga Chami Tatiyampi Dhamang Saranga Chami Tatiyampi Sanghang Saranga Chami so this is the three refuges uh, that you've taken. This is um, these, this little ceremony is very formalized into um, being the Pali recitation and uh, taking refuge in Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha. And uh, even though we think of these as the Buddha as Gautama Buddha, the teacher, and Dhamma as the teaching, Sangha as the, you know, those who have uh, the noble Sangha, those who have awakened to the, the teachings, this also, um, and maybe more importantly, it's, uh, it's good to recognize that these are internal qualities as well, so that Buddha is really that quality of wisdom, that quality of, of heart, which is wise and awake, that in us which knows. So when we, we take refuge in the Buddha, it means taking refuge in being awake rather than snoozing. And uh, kind of that which is ready to switch off or to be uh, un, unaware, unmindful. Refuge in Dhamma is uh, refuge not just in the Buddha's teachings, but in the way things are. Dhamma also means nature. So it means uh, uh, taking refuge in the way things actually uh, happen the way they are rather than the way we think they should be or could be or might be or our opinions, habits. So it's uh, that um, quality of truth, the truth of, of the way it is. And then Sangha, as well as sort of thinking of Sangha as the enlightened disciples or the uh, uh, Buddhist community of people, Sangha, the essence of Sangha is literally that in us which enables uh, us to harmonize so it's, uh, in a way, the qualities of unselfishness and virtue. These are capacities that we can draw upon that are always uh, uh, reliable sources of clarity and peace. So refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha is really a refuge in, in uh, wisdom and truth and uh, unselfishness. Uh, this is uh, one way to reflect on it. And the eight precepts, um, Probably because many of you, I suspect, are not too familiar with the Pali. We can do this uh, word by word to begin with, and then um, maybe as we get in the flow, then we'll go a couple of words at a time. But uh, we'll start off. So I'll just repeat uh, 
the Pali um, uh, word by word and then if you just repeat after me we go along Panati Pata Panati Pata Veratmani Sikapadang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from taking the life of any living creature. Adinadana Veratmani Sikapadang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. Abrahmacharya Veratmani Sikapadang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from any kind of sexual activity. Musawada Veratmani Sikaparang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from false and harmful speech. Sura Miraya Majapama Dathana Veratmani Sikapadang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from consuming intoxicating drink and drugs which lead to carelessness. Vikala Bhojana Veratmani Sikaparang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from eating at inappropriate times. Nachagita Vadita Visukarasana Malaganda Vilepana Dharana Mandana Vipusanathana Veratmani Sikaparang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from entertainment, beautification and adornment. Ucha Sayana Mahasayana Ucha Sayana Mahasayana Veratmani Sikaparang Samadhyami Veratmani Sikaparang Samadhyami 
I undertake the precept to refrain from lying on a high or luxurious sleeping place. Imani ata sikapadani silena sugatinyanti silena boga sambada silena ne butinyanti tasma silangwito taye. I always feel at the beginning of a retreat it's like we've all climbed on board a great ship and we take all take the precepts together and it's like the our uh, vessel pulling out of the harbour and setting off into open water. So uh, welcome aboard <laughs> and uh, let's uh, enjoy the uh, the journey together. So uh, we'll call it uh, the end of the evening there and. Um, just uh, pay our uh, respects to the shrine and then uh, gather again in the morning at uh, 6.30.